0: I wanted to take a few moments uh, today and just look at an idea or a thought that is discussed in Scripture. And uh, to do that, I'm going to lean on uh, Scripture that uh, James writes and tells us about. And uh, if you wanted a title for the sermon, it would be Conflict, the World, and the Church. James is the brother of Jesus And James writes these words and let's just spend a few moments reading them together and then I'll comment on them. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You, adulter- you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge a law, you're not keeping it, but you sit in judgment of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you who are... Who are you to judge your neighbor? This has been uh, churning in my mind over the last few days, and uh, actually for some time. But as we have been hearing so much in terms of injustice, Aisha was with us last week and she spoke about some of the issues that she has faced. Elena, today she was talking about some of the injustice that she faced in Kazakhstan as a Korean, who was growing up in a nation that uh, was home for her, and how she was biased against, how she was discriminated against. Uh, today we hear so much anger in the media, uh, directed at different people. Is it justified? Of course it's justified. There's things that have been going on in society that are just injustices for a long time. So people come to a point where they come to a breaking point. We saw this a number of years ago in Egypt. We saw this in in China, in Tiananmen Square. We We saw this in Hong Kong. We've been seeing this unfold for the last almost year as the demonstrations have continued. We see it over and over and over again where people have enough where people feel that they have been betrayed, they have been disillusioned, they have been oppressed. But what's interesting is that the first sermon that Jesus really preached in Luke chapter 4, he takes the scroll of the book of Isaiah and he reads words that echo in the heart of each human when we begin to see what he is saying about him wanting to come to set captives free. Set the oppressed loose, to remove the binds and the shackles. We take that on a personal level all the time, but there's also other layers to it than just the personal. On a personal level, when I accept the Lord and His mercy and His grace and invite Him into my life, we've been singing, when He comes in, He releases me from the bondages of my own sinfulness. He releases me from that place where uh, He says. As we read earlier, he desires to, he longs, he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. He has called the spirit, he has caused the spirit to come to dwell in us. And we sometimes don't understand what that means because we see each other very much in this way. We see each other only as external beings. We see each other, if you can imagine the human being as this bubble or this circle, where we see each other in body form. You're seeing me right now in my physicalness. We see each other based on our appearance, based on our color, based on our size, based on our expressions outside, what we're wearing, what we're not wearing. You know, you go into one of the, the fancy uh, stores in the malls when they're open, and uh, you get looked at and you get measured by the salespeople to determine what your worth is going to be in terms of the sale value, of what you're going to generate. And they treat you accordingly. If you're well-dressed, they'll pay a lot of attention to you. If you look scruffy, they may or may not give you the same treatment. I know I'm generalizing. But generally speaking, if you look really haggard and you go shopping for a car, they're probably not going to spend as much time with you if you, uh, you know, as if, if you were driving in with a, a top-ended model and, and looking dressed to the nines. We look at each other and we measure each other by physical perceptions that we gather. Some of us go a little bit deeper and we go and look at each other's minds. We may look totally disheveled, we may look totally messy, but you may have a very sharp mind. Steve Jobs was not much of a dresser. He always wore his black top and his jeans and sneakers. That was his style. But the man packed quite a bit inside of his mind and inside of his soul. He had so much passion. So when you get behind the facade and you go a little bit deeper, when you go inside of that, if you look at Einstein, he was hairy and, and his hair was all over the place. Messy, right? He looked not like he would be a, Maybe he did look a part of a genius. Maybe that's what geniuses look like, totally careless about their outer appearance. But you have to get behind that. You have to get deeper than that. And you get to know the person at that soul level. And when we get to know one another at that soul level, there's a connection that forms. You know, a lot of people today are are meeting online and and they're not really seeing each other until after some time. But when they're meeting online, it's the persona that presents itself online online. And a lot of our kids today are on chats and they're talking to people. We have no idea who these people are half the time. So we try to caution them. But they're getting to know a person's expression. And it's not just a physical expression. It's a deeper expression. It's an expression of the person's soul, the person's being. But the the human is made up of just, is not just made up of physical and mental or emotional, we're made up of something quite much different. We're made up of of a spirit being that lives inside this tent. And this spirit being is what we know on the inside that has the ability to experience God. We can experience God definitely in our physical. We can experience God in our physical when we're healed. When He touches us and when His presence is here, sometimes we feel goosebumps. That's experiencing God in the physical. When you are broken and He brings healing to you, that's experiencing God in your body. I've experienced God in my body a number of times. One that's really memorable goes back to 1982, October. We were just married. I was working in pharmaceutical sales and uh, my travels, my territory had a portion in Toronto and it had a portion in Peterborough. So I would travel by car. I would drive to Peterborough. And one day I was there and it was fall, October. And at that time of the year, I have really, really bad allergies. And to the point that I was on a puffer just to open up my lungs so I can breathe. And I was taking four, doses of this very strong medication that would make me very drowsy. But at least I could read. And in the midst of that, I found myself in Peterborough at a medical doctor's office. And uh, I noticed he has these full gospel businessmen's magazines called The Voice in his lobby, in his waiting area. So I would leaf through it and read a couple of articles waiting for my appointment to go and see him and tell him about the pharmaceuticals, the drugs that I was selling. And uh, finally, it was my turn to go in. It was the last appointment of the day. So I went, sat next to him in his office. It was a desk, and I was sitting just on the side of the desk. And uh, I noticed behind him, he had a credenza you know, one of those cabinets. And on it, there was a really old, chewed-up Bible. And that drew my attention. So I asked him, Dr. so-and-so, I said, Is that a Bible? He goes, yeah. And I said, what's the Bible doing in the doctor's office? So he says to me, I can treat them, but I can't cure them. Only he can cure them. I said, you're a Christian. He said, yeah. I said, yeah, I noticed the magazines outside. He goes, yeah, that's the Full Gospel Businessman magazine. And from your name, I can tell you're Armenian. Do you know Demos Shakarian? I said, never met him. at the... You Never met the man, but I've read the story. He goes, well, he's another good Armenian. I said, okay. He says, have you been filled or, or baptized in the Spirit? Elena talked about that today in her testimony. And I said, uh, I've heard about it. I don't know what that is. And he said, uh, well, how did you receive salvation? I said, by faith. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. His death was in my place, and I received salvation. So he goes, so you believe you're born again? I said, yeah. He says, you believe you're going to heaven? Yeah. He says, well, can you believe what Jesus said about being baptized in the Spirit? I thought for half a second and I said, I guess I have to. Yeah, yeah. It's the same, he says. He says, I'm going to pray. I'm not going to touch you or anything. I'm going to pray, and the Holy Spirit will come on you because Jesus will baptize you like he promised. John said, the one who comes after me will baptize you in spirit and in fire. So he prayed. I didn't feel anything. I just sat there. He says, okay, receive it. I said, I have. It was okay. So you may or may not pray in tongues at some point. That's between you and him. I've done my part in introducing you to the baptism of the spirit. The rest is up to the Lord and you. Off you go. We talked about the drugs and things like that. And then we actually hugged. Imagine doing that now. We will again soon. And I left his office. I got into my car. And I drove to my hotel room. And on my way there, all I could do was just thank God. I didn't have any tongues churning in my mind. I didn't feel that I had something to release But I felt something inside where I wanted to just honor God and thank Him. And then I got this great idea. I said, Lord, if this guy is right, I'll make a deal with you. I don't know about this tongues business. It's all new to me. I'm not familiar with it. And it's kind of weird speaking in a language you don't understand or or saying things you don't know what you're saying. And I don't want to say anything that's against you and those expressions. I don't know what's what. So I want to be cautious. So instead of doing that, I'm going to say hallelujah. Does that work? So said, yeah, that works. I could somehow hear him. And then I said, uh, but if you've really done this, Jesus, if you've baptized me, get rid of these allergies. Can we do that deal? And he said, they're gone. So I went to my hotel. It was time for my next dose. I decided I'm not going to take it and I'm going to try it, see what happens. It was night, so I can survive the night in, in the hotel room without sniffles, with the sniffles and all that. Night passed, I was okay. Woke up in the morning, went downstairs for breakfast, I was okay. Looked at the puffer, threw it in my bag and didn't take it. I was okay. Day finishes, I drive home back to Toronto. I'm still okay. That was October 19, 1982. October 20th, 21st, December, next summer, this year, I'm still okay. God healed me. I've experienced God's touch in my body. And that's all of ours. It's not unique to me or to Mary or to uh, Elena or to Rob or to anybody else. It's all of ours. And it's not to say that if you're not healed, you're bad or you're sinful or you're, you don't believe. It's nothing of that. But we experience God in our body. Another thing I've experienced is God in my mind, God in my emotions, God in my will. I shared with you the story of how, as an Armenian, I was raised in a culture where we are subconsciously or sometimes very deliberately within the Armenian circle and the Armenian community in the culture, we are subconsciously or deliberately, I don't know, in some circles it's very deliberate, taught to hate certain other cultures. James talks about why is there war among you? Isn't it because you want things and can't get them? As Armenians, we lost our homes. We lost our lands. We lost our grandparents, great-grandparents. And uh, the Lord worked in my heart, not in my physical heart, but in my inner heart, to bring about a change where I no longer hate who is known as our enemy, but I can actually bless them. I shared with you a few weeks ago when David was with us, how I actually heard from the Lord that I was serving a Kurd and giving him a platform to be able to speak the gospel to other Kurds. And I pray for Turkey. I pray for Kurdistan. I pray for Iran. I pray for all the neighbors of Armenia, that the Lord would move amongst these nations and bring us all into peace with one another and with him. I pray for our current situations in Canada and in the U.S., I don't know how to solve the social problem socially. I don't know what it's going to take to bring peace between the oppressed and the oppressors in the natural. But I know that it starts in the individual heart. And our individual hearts can turn for the sake of releasing blessing, releasing forgiveness to those that have hurt us. I told you I met the great-grandson of the man who was commissioned with the killing of the Armenians in our village, city, And he asked me for forgiveness. The Lord has touched my mind and my soul to the point that I can release forgiveness to him within my heart first and through my words. But it all starts with what he is longing for. It all starts in that place where he is longing to bring something out from all that he's been doing. So if we look at this part inside of us, this spirit being, this is where he wants to dwell. This is where he wants to come into our lives. And in joining us, in, in melding together, not melting only, but melding, amalgamating, fusing The scripture in 1 Corinthians 6 says that he who has joined himself to the Lord has become one spirit with the Lord. So something happens in the inner part of us when we believe with our minds. And the mind is that natural psyche thing. God doesn't want you to check your mind at the door when you come to the encounter with him. He wants to use your mind because your mind is that lock and that key that unlocks everything as you go forward. Your mind and your emotions and your will form who you are. Without your mind, you're a vegetable, you're a body just lying there. Without your emotions, you have no empathy, you don't connect with people, you're you're just a, a physical being that is just emotionless. Without your will, nothing changes. He wants to interact with us at the will level, to open the gate for things to happen. You know, in in the book of Acts, we read these words. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did so, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far off. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets said, we are his offspring. So when it comes to that inner spiritual being, and this is all we're trying to do at church. We're trying to bring ourselves individually and corporately to the place where because of what happened to humanity at at the fall, because of how our spirit, how our innest, inner innest, innermost part, I guess we can say the innest. How is your innest today? <laughs> that innermost part of our being, the spirit, because of sin, and sin resides there. Sin kills our spirit. Sin brings us to the place that we can no longer hear God. We can no longer have a relationship with Him. But as soon as our will, our mind, our emotions are touched by God, as soon as we sense and we, relieve, and we realize that He is such a good God and He loves us with His whole being, He has given His only Son for us, as soon as we experience that, He allows His Spirit to come into us and He transforms us and He takes that dead part of us, that Spirit that's callous, He revives it. He pours Himself into it. And from that inner, 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 again, innermost part of us, he causes his spirit to flow in our every part. So out of that innermost place, he says that you will be like rivers of living water flowing out. So we experience that first we experience a rejuvenation in our heart, a renewal in our heart, on a personal level. But imagine if I'm renewed in my heart, and Silva's renewed in her heart, and the Spirit of God now dwells in us, me and her. And the Scripture says that he who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. So I'm one spirit with the Lord. And she's one spirit with the Lord. When we come together, we are both one spirit with the Lord. So something happens within that corporateness, and that's what we are as a church. Individually, we are touched and filled by God and we become these carriers of the presence of God. But He wants to constantly have our minds renewed by the pouring out of His Spirit in us, by the renewal of our minds through the power of His words, through the the power of testimony. Why do we have a testimony every Sunday now? Because we want to release faith to receive the same things that God has done in that person's life. So as the Spirit pours out from our innermost part, the innest part, as He pours out of there, He changes our mind. We begin to know how to love people in the right way. We begin to see the other who is different from us as the same as us. We see their pain as our pain. We see the pain they've caused us as being caused by their own pain. And we can begin to have mercy with them because we begin to see them with the eyes of God. A lot of people today that minister in healing tell us that healing is sometimes restricted to flowing in our bodies when there's unforgiveness. Because what happens is, is in our mind, in our will, we lock that spirit from being able to move out into the rest of our body. But the moment we release forgiveness, there is healing that comes to our soul. We're happier about it. We feel uncaged. We feel unrestricted. And before you know it, we feel the change in our body because he is constantly trying to renew us, spirit, soul, and body. So when that happens, coupled with the baptism of the spirit, where we no longer are just filled with the Spirit on the inside, but He actually pours His Spirit on us from the outside. And we get filled inside and out. It's like a cup full of water that you dunk into a swimming pool. You're surrounded in it, inside and out with water. And the Lord wants to do that with each one of us, so we can become carriers on the inside and carriers on the outside of His Holy Spirit. And when we bump into each other as these bubbles now that are filled on the inside and filled on the outside and he forms a community of us that are people like that and we begin to love on one another, the word of Jesus becomes fulfilled, that they will know that you are my disciples by your love. They will know you're my disciples because white and black get along. They will know you're my disciples because the enemy and the victim get along. They will know that you are my disciples because even though you disagree, you walk together and you love one another. They will know you're my disciples because you stretch yourself beyond just who you are and you reach to the one that has hurt you. So when Paul writes these words in first Corinthians and he says, for this reason, Many of you are sick and falling asleep. He's talking in the context of communion. He's talking in the context of us coming together and breaking bread together. He's talking in the context of us celebrating the broken body of Jesus. He's talking in the context of recognizing the body of Christ recognizing that I have become one spirit with him and you have become one spirit with him and two of us now are joined together inseparably as one spirit with him and with the other and with the other and with the other. So all around the screen as I look at all of your faces, I know I am joined to you in a way that is inseparable. Nothing can separate me from you. We have been joined together. And the the Greek word in that context is hilarious. It's the word kola. Not as in Coca-Cola, but in the word kola. And those of you who come from Egypt or the Middle East will know that we have a very strong cement-type glue that when you join two pieces together, you can never separate them at the point of the joint if you put two pieces together and separate them, invariably you will be leaving on one parts of the other and on the other parts of one. Even if you tear them apart, they will not just separate at the point where they have been glued. They're going to rip each other apart as they separate. And that's what he has done with us. He has joined us to himself in an inseparable way. And he joins us to one another in inseparable ways. So we are in the screen here and with all our brothers and sisters all across the globe, in this generation and in the generation before us and the generation after us, all the way back to the first disciples, all the way back actually to Adam. We get that from Hebrews 11, that the, you know, the, the heroes of the faith. We have been joined to one another if we have the Spirit living in us. And He has made us inseparable. And it's that testimony that the world needs today. In the midst of conflict, in the midst of injustice, we have the answer. We have the answer in our hearts. He has given us His love. He has given us His peace. I know it's not as simple as just going out and saying, hey, listen, we love each other. There are practical things that we have to have. There are practical solutions that we must make. I'm in conversations with pastors across the city right now as to how do we as the church express the love of God in the midst of the conflict that's going on. There's all kinds of talk about defunding this and defunding that. And some are arguing, where, where did police start from anyway? Didn't we just do that to, to make ourselves... Feel safe? No, actually policing started with God's mind when he gave humanity the authority to govern itself. God put into place systems for humanity to exist. We abuse those systems but we have to come to the place of understanding how to use those systems correctly. Do we oppress people because they are different from us? Absolutely not. Do we over-honor? Absolutely not. Does status come from the color of your skin or the power of your checkbook? Absolutely not. It shouldn't. But the Lord has given us the means within the body of Christ. So I encourage you, open your heart to Him. Open your mind to Him. How do you become an agent of peace and reconciliation? Police officers are the enforcers of the peace. They're officers to maintain the peace. We, who are the children of God, are called blessed because we will be known as the peacemakers who are the children of God. So we need to be reconciled with him. We need to demonstrate that reconciliation within one another. And we need to be the agents of reconciliation in the world. So I'm going to encourage you right now to bring your uh, elements together and we'll share communion together.